Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 2, Episode 11. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for This Week in Voice, as well as the Voice First Roundtable, is Voice XP, a St. Louis-based company that creates Alexa skills for businesses. Bob Stolzberg, who is the founder of the company, is a big friend of the program, big friend of Voice First FM, big friend of voice technology in general. Voice XP just recently joined the Capital Capital Innovators Startup Accelerator Program, which is a top 10 accelerator in the country. Uh, Bob Stolzberg and Mark Tucker and Bonnie Snyder and Matthew Mills and the rest of their team does amazing work. If you're looking for someone to create a voice application, a voice presence for you or your organization, go to voicexp.com or look up Bob Stolzberg or Mark Tucker or, or one of these folks on LinkedIn. Reach out to them. Have a dialogue with them about how they can help you with that. You'll be glad that you did. We are very thrilled today to be joined by a fantastic panel. We've got Alana Shalowitz here, who is a voice user interface design manager for Emmy Solutions. But tell me, Alana, so you guys just got acquired. What's, what's the story? And thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. We were acquired about a year ago by Walters Kluwer Health, and it's a really exciting partnership between uh, our company, Emmy, and Walters Kluwer Health, because together we can help both physicians and patients make better, more informed decisions about care. Excellent. Thank you for joining us. Also from Emmy Solutions slash Walters Kluwer Health is Joseph Dengelmeyer or JD. Joseph, how are you? I'm well. Um, I'm the lead IVR developer at Emmy. Um, so uh, the design team that Alana Singh does, um, I help produce, essentially. Um, I've been in the voice industry for about 13 years now, and I'm very excited to be here. Thank both of you for joining us. We're thrilled to have both of you. And we also have Nick Brown of Effect. Nick, say hello. Hey, Bradley and all the listeners out there. Thank you so much for having me on the show. If you haven't heard about Effect, we are a platform that allows anybody to get their voice onto the Amazon Alexa device. We do that by empowering our users to quickly and easily start Amazon Alexa flash briefings. It's completely free to start and publish briefings. The only thing we charge for is our premium mode, which allows for users to schedule briefings. And it costs just $45 a month. And everybody can learn more by visiting EFFCT.co. And I'm really excited to be here and talk more about these awesome stories in voice. Thanks to all of you, and we've got links to Effect as well as Walters Kluwer on thisweekinvoice.com. Check out both of them. Thanks to all of you all for being here. With that, we'll get to the news. And this week, we've got a pretty interesting story. It's our voicebot.ai story of the week. Voicebot.ai is a great news and commentary site for voice technology, AI, all things in that uh, stratosphere check them out apple snags new leader from google so if you listen to this show you get to hear my apple vitriol from time to time um they suck (laughs) they've done a bad job uh they um they've let a early lead get squandered uh in the most wasteful sort of way but all's not lost They hired this guy from Google. Before I even say anything else, I want to ask the panel what their thoughts are on this. And Alana, I'm going to start with you. Is this 
the sign that Apple's going to turn this thing around and be able to take some meaningful market share away from Alexa and Google Assistant? Or is this just sort of window dressing? Uh, give me your thoughts. It could be. It could very well be. Uh, it seems like a strong strategic move given um, that Apple has fallen a little bit behind. But the question moving forward is how will it be received by the organization as it exists already? So what are the individuals within the organization who are going to be responsible for moving the ship forward together? How are they going to receive this new leadership? Um, it is an enormous opportunity, though, I think, to refocus the company and uh, have him collaborate with marketing and sales and some of the other uh, strategic uh, product management to say, okay, what is, what is the new vision for Apple in this world of AI? Again, there, it's all potential. Um, I, I think um, the, uh, Apple has always been kind of um, building on other people's products to make something that's really just wow and have the killer app. And I think that's really what... Um, the HomePod and their voice offerings they're now often missing. And in general, in the industry, could really use something that's like neat and cool. And with his background in the AI and machine learning with Apple is already, they have the design team there. If they can put that together to really kind of wow everyone, I think everyone would really appreciate that. And then fewer podcasts about them uh, sucking. Hey, well, I'll, I'll live with that. I would love nothing more. Uh, Nick, your thoughts. I think the addition of John Giandrea at Apple shows a restructuring of their organization. Before they were extremely decentralized and unstructured in terms of AI, I think they noticed how much progress Amazon and Google were making by centering their businesses around artificial intelligence. And so they went out and got an industry leader to help them create some structure and some centralization because AI and the way it empowers voice are here to stay. That's for sure. There's some interesting tidbits in this article from VoiceBot. Brett Kinsella, who wrote this, did a nice job really lasering in on a couple of important things. One of the things that, that I thought was interesting is that this gentleman is going to be one of 16 people that reports directly to Tim Cook. And the article, you know, that Brett has written here portrays that as a positive and perhaps it could be a positive, you know, the guy's not reporting to Joe Smith, middle manager, you know, way down the food chain in the spaceship. However, you could also view it as, okay, if this is one out of 16 people reporting to Tim Cook, then AI and machine learning and fixing Siri is one sixteenth of what Apple's trying to do when you could argue that uh, it should be much higher than that in terms of corporate focus and whatnot. So let me phrase the follow-up question this way. In one year's time, and Alana, I'm going to start with you with this as well. In one year's time, Siri and HomePod and Apple's voice ecosystem will have significantly more about the same or less market share than what it's got right now? I'm going to ask all three of you this. Uh, Alana, I'll start with you. I have to think about that one for a second because this could really go either way. As I said, it's all about how the individuals within the organization are going to receive this change. 
and whether it's just going to be strategic vision from the top or whether they can communicate it down. The other factor is as they're, as they're ramping up or getting used to this new organization, some other shops are already up and running. So that gives them the opportunity to really, to really outpace Apple. So the question is going to be, can they get their strategic vision together, one, and two, are they going to give it quickly enough uh, to get it up and running quickly enough to meet their competitors in this space? I think it's a very good long-term strategic move, but at the pace that their competitors are going, I think it's going to take a lot for them to catch up. So I'm going to say their market share is going to decrease at least for the short term, but I have hopes that they can catch up in the long term. Do they have much of a market share right now? My, my gut reaction is they have nowhere to go but up as the HomePod really rolls out more and um, they kind of rebuild their area and voice. Um, the nice thing about the smart speakers and things like that in general is because they're cloud-based, any kind of improvements from the, the new leadership or new, new uh, direction of marketing can come immediately to customers that are already there and build things that need to do a new product release or new rollouts and things like that. So I'd say up a little bit at least um, because Dan would be a little sad. Yeah, it would. I don't know what exactly their market share is. I think a recent report had it at 8%, 8 to 10%, something like that. In the United States, it's pretty low, uh, but you're right. Uh, there's not a whole lot of room for them to go down. Okay, but so we got one going down a little bit uh, with Alana. We've got one going up a little bit at least with JD. Nick, what do you think? I'm really tempted to split the difference here and say that it's going to stay exactly the same. I really like Alana's arguments about the long-term growth. I see that long-term Apple is going to start cutting into the market share of the smart speaker uh, market. At the same time, though, I do think that there's going to be a slight increase in their market share this upcoming year. Just the way that people are obsessive and love their Apple products and how it can pair potentially with your iPhone or your iPad and have everything um, in sync, I think that this addition is going to help them increase their market share by maybe a couple, a couple percent at most in one year. Okay, so we're going to hold all of y'all to this. We'll put this in the <laughs> archives and, uh, and dig this thing back up uh, in a year from now. Thank you for your commentary and uh, predictions on that. That was, that was great. And this ties directly into our story number two. So while Apple can hire somebody away from Google and pay all this money, you know, pull some, some gold out of the Scrooge McDuck vault that they've got sitting there, they can't sit there and hire the whole ecosystem of developers that Amazon has cultivated over the last couple of years. This story number two really speaks to that. Amazon's Alexa is headed to ambulances. That's a very interesting one. Headed to retirement planning headed to local news, headed to charity fundraising. That's something that Amazon themselves was uh, involved with. Headed to the trading floor of Wall Street, headed to your DVR. That's another Amazon one, I think, that they were directly involved with. And headed to syndicated radio, which is a weird one that I threw in there. Check that out if you didn't see that. And that's all this week. <laughs> and I left some out. I couldn't possibly include all the ones. I just chose the ones I thought were most interesting. So it's easy to take for granted what is going on with the Amazon Alexa ecosystem. It's easy to take it for granted 
uh, we're way past the inflection point of of uh, acceptance at this point. Now we're we're on well on our way to critical mass. And Nick, I want to start with you. Which one of these things stuck out to you? Um, you know, from what you do with Effect, what is your take on how Amazon is cultivating the ecosystem? And in context with the last story, you know, uh, share your thoughts on if anybody can catch up to Amazon from a mainstream voice assistant standpoint at this point. Jeff Bezos and the Amazon team are making an extremely aggressive play to completely dominate the voice market. I believe I saw a tweet in a news story last week that they're hiring as many developers for Alexa alone as Google is hiring for entire staff members. So they are making a really strong bid to be the dominant force in the smart speaker world. The uh, innovations that you discussed earlier of the Alexa platform just go to show it's not about the hardware, but instead who is building on the hardware in the same way that some people would have argued that MySpace might have had better technology than Facebook, but people actually adopted Facebook profiles uh, and started publishing content on Facebook. Same thing is going for Amazon in terms of how many people are developing on Alexa. And just for the record, I think that Facebook is better than MySpace from a UI UX standpoint. So the most compelling innovation that I see is in local news. I think that is what we aim to do at Effect. And um, my mom was in the newspaper industry for 30 years, and she's still a writer. And in a lot of ways, the newspaper industry completely missed the boat on digital and social media. And as a result, you see events like two weeks ago when the Denver Post laid off 30 of their 100 newsroom members. They just can't afford to compete in this digital world. So I think it's really important for local news sources who really are the gatekeepers of journalism and provide objectivity in our cities and in our towns. It's really important for these organizations to do like News 8 in Connecticut did and go ahead and get on Alexa and start connecting with their local audience there. So that was the most compelling area that I saw in terms of the Alexa developments you discussed, Bradley. And then uh, secondly, I love the fact that you can donate to various nonprofits through Alexa. I would love to see this get opened up more to uh, outside of the 50 charities that they selected instead. So at effect, we give 10% of our profits to a charity called the Against Malaria Foundation, which uh, provides a bed net uh, for a couple at danger of malaria in the developing world, especially sub-Saharan Africa, and they do it for just four bucks. So for four bucks, you can cover a couple or a child for four years or for two years, which is pretty outstanding. I would love to see Alexa make that more open source and available to uh, any charity that wants to use it. A quick disagreement on the local news part, because I I was thinking in my head about the monetization. Um, When I was looking around the skills to try to find the one from the article, there was another News 8 skill that was written last year that essentially looks abandoned if you see the comments on it, how it never has new updates. Um, so that, that's my concern with um, this kind of thing. Without the monetization, there's already so much struggling in the um, local news industry to have another venue that you can't even put an advertisement on right now. It leads to things that could become bad advertising for them, essentially, with a skill out there where you can't, where it, it's saying we don't have anything because they don't have the resources or time to update it because there are other channels that are... Um, more profitable or 
just more useful to them. That being said, I do agree about the charity thing. Being able to, um, to donate with that low effort is critical. Um, I, the, every time we, you, we remove a gap, you remove a delay, that you don't have to go get your computer or even pick up your phone to text to a random stranger to donate to the Red Cross. You can just say, hey, donate. That's going to remove barriers, increase donations, and really be a benefit to everyone. So that's a great use for this technology, and I'm really glad that that's there. Joseph, that is a great point about local news. Uh, we have approached hundreds of news organizations across the country and are seeing um, very limited adoption of Alexa across the board. And so that's true. A lot of news organizations are stretched really thin and don't have the time or resources to devote to uh, an Alexa skill or a voice skill or flash briefing. This is, however, the exact same thing they said about social media. We don't have the time to do it. We're too busy putting out articles in print. This is our focus. This is our moneymaker. So just turning a blind eye to uh, voice, I think, is a mistake for them. But you're 100% right. They don't have the capacity right now. I think it's going to be important for these organizations to create that capacity, though, if that means taking it a little bit away from what they do on social media or what they're doing in print and finding that extra 30 minutes and that extra strategy meeting once a month to come up with the content for the flash briefing. It's always important to be innovating for the future. And just to throw something else in there too, back last year on This Week in Voice, as we talked through monetization and, and there was the cries for monetization, seemingly on a weekly basis, you know, Amazon need to give us more monetization options for these Alexa skills. One of the things that people pointed to routinely was the abandoned wear. And I remember VoiceBot did an article on this. It was something like 50 to 60% of Alexa skills at one point in time last year either had, they might've had no reviews, like none, uh, you know, or maybe one. And, um, and there was a lot of indication that there was just uh, some garbage out there, you know, people just dabbling with it and then not following up. And uh, it's my perception. I don't have any data on this. I'm sure it exists, but that that amount of abandoned wear and, and stuff like that is decreasing as Amazon is rolling these monetization schemes out. But, uh, but you're right, JD, you know, if one new skill in isolation, you know, you can draw different conclusions, but if there's a lot of different content creators, such as a news aid, a local news organization that are putting at least the initial resources in to create an Alexa skill. And then you're seeing them abandon them. You know, a lot of these different groups abandon them. And this, this is a trend. Then, you know, Amazon um, has got a problem. And uh, it's my perception that they're, they're putting enough tools out there and enough information to where people can get guided to a monetization scheme that works for them. But this is an argument that maybe it's not quite there yet. I think everyone's right. Now, uh, as people get into uh, skills or actions using these digital assistants, it becomes something that they have to maintain. And so that has to be also part of their thinking is what sort of resources we're going to use to make sure that these things stay up to date. Otherwise, people are going to defect to other, to other news channels. Overall, looking at the volume of echo engagement, I'm, I'm really amazed. And it really seems like, as you were saying, that we're passing that inflection point. We're moving from where the technology was once a novelty to when people are using it as a tool in earnest. 
Amazon has done a really fantastic job getting it out into the market. And whether or not they were the first ones to create the technology, for all intents and purposes right now, they do have the first mover advantage. Uh, the thing is, is whether their technology can keep up with the popularity. Because as people get more into developing their skills and they try to use it for different things, um, they, might, they might hit a wall if the technology doesn't keep up. And at that point, they're going to start looking for alternatives. And also another thing that I'm watching is how people are using it. So there, it's just amazing the, the diversity of uh, industries that are, that are using the Echo as, uh, as evidenced in the, in the type of articles that you pulled. I'm looking at the ambulance one naturally because I work in health, but I'm also looking at the finance one and seeing if people are using this technology to its greatest advantage. Great commentary, completely agree, and, and great commentary all the way around. Before I leave this story, however, I was curious <laughs> to see if anyone would mention this radio one that's at the end. I want to just bring this up for a minute. I think that this, if you click on um, the last link in the story, syndicated radio, and you look at what this thing is, I think this is a great example of how immature the market around Alexa and around voice is in many ways right now. It, it took me a long time to understand what this website is selling <laughs> and I, I want to just ask the question if anyone else looked at this and um, had any thoughts on this, because it's sort of similar in a way to the Homie and Lexi podcast that, that Doug Schumacher creates that we're ending this week in voice with now. It's sort of a recorded bit. Any, any thoughts on this? This is sort of a weird one before we head on. Yeah, I have a few here. Okay, um, go ahead. It also took me a second to figure out what's going on, and I just want to repeat what I got from it to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Maybe, maybe I was uh, got, maybe I was misinformed by what I read, but somebody is writing content for Alexa to respond to uh, that radio, uh, radio listeners can ask her a question. Is that correct? Uh, so I there's think a there's a comedian behind writing responses to things like, does what happened in Vegas really stay in Vegas? I think that is right. I think that it, this comedian takes the uh, hosts of whatever radio show is purchasing this service and perhaps some recorded audio from those hosts from archives that the radio show provides, or maybe it's new recorded audio or I don't know what, and then records, you know, pre-recorded bits that, they, that can be played as part of shows. I, I mean, I, I think that that's what I got. I easily could be wrong. <laughs> All right. So what I saw here is actually an unintentional philosophical debate about who is Alexa. Um, and Amazon's put a lot of effort into thinking about what is her personality. And if you ask her certain questions, she'll respond a certain way. But here, the comedian is able to take her voice on and become and Alexa becomes not just the animator of other people's skill content where you know that you're within the realm of somebody else's skill but he's actually becoming the author of the content and so it 
it bleeds into the personality that Amazon has built for Alexa. So I see that as a really interesting philosophical thing that's come up. And also, I love that people are having fun with this technology in this way. And it's interesting to see that people are turning to Alexa, even in this comical way, as an expert on on all things in herself. You raise a really interesting point, which I hadn't thought about at all, which is the impersonation aspect of this. I mean, think about it. Here's this guy whose entire business model is impersonating Alexa (laughs) and using Alexa's voice to not say what Amazon has spent probably millions of dollars to construct these conversations, but no, just whatever this guy randomly comes up with. And uh, for comedic effect, and, and I mean, I think you could easily make the argument that people listening to any radio shows uh, subscribing to this service, are they going to know the difference? Are they going to know that this isn't how Alexa talks normally? Like if Alexa's like having some profane conversation with the radio host or saying something else, like uh, expressing some opinion that is controversial in some way or uh, that, that this doesn't reflect Alexa, of course they wouldn't know that. So uh, this, I think you stumbled onto a real hornet's nest of issues here. Uh, the illegal, the uh, Amazon legal eagles, uh, I don't know, might get all over this thing. Any other thoughts on this? But I just wanted to bring this up because I thought this was so strange. Amazon kind of um, put themselves in their corner using a very generic name for the service, like because Alexa is a common name. And they have um, very, um, very loose um, licensing vis-a-vis Polly. Um, when I first read this, I thought they were kind of overpricing because if you have your own writers, generating the voice would cost you a nickel on AWS. <laughs> um, that being said, in general, um, it's very, it's, it's, it's very, uh, see how it really highlights how common this is in the culture now where Alexa can just be a pop culture joke without someone having to stand and say, hey, this is like the smart speaker that you can talk to for this. It's just common now that this is Alexa you can go and talk to, and then they can make jokes about it being sarcastic with you and things like that, which culturally I think is going to be a boon for Amazon and other folks in the voice-first industry that it's so normal now. At some point, you have to make a decision. If you create a voice assistant, it, it just reminds me of that company I keep referring back to, Liarbird.ai. If you've never been to Liarbird.ai, L-Y-R-E-B-I-R-D.ai, and we'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, you owe it to yourself to go check them out. And there's some other competing services to them, but uh, basically you can, if you have, I think it's a minute of recorded audio from someone, you can simulate their voice. And get them to say whatever you want. And the website has got this huge legal disclaimer at the top of it, which just makes me laugh. Um, We're in such a strange era where anybody can simulate anybody else. Um, Audio is at that point. Video, you know, there was a video of Barack Obama um, where the audio was saying something that was not what he said. And the video, in fact, wasn't, there was some aspect of the video that wasn't even the same. And it just shows that, we've reached this strange technological point where people can imitate anything. I think, Alana, you really hit the nail on the head with this uh, is right in that wheelhouse of begging a lot of interesting questions on, okay, what is allowable with a voice? Forget if it's a human voice or a voice assistant. 
there's a lot riding on them both. Um, I think that was, that's a very interesting philosophical issue that we just sort of inadvertently stumbled back into. I'm glad that uh, it doesn't surprise me that you had been thinking about that. Uh, I certainly had not, uh, but I appreciate the commentary on that as well as these other stories as well. We will move on to story number three, which is that Google and Target have collaborated for the first voice-activated coupon for Google Assistant. This is from Adweek, one of two articles this week from Adweek that I thought was of interest. J.D., I want to start with you. What did you think from this? Uh, Did you like the way this was executed? Um, Is this sort of thing what we're going to be seeing more and more of? Tell Tell me your thoughts. Well, it's funny you say more and more of, um, because this I thought they were talking about, they ran a very similar promotion with Walmart back in October, but you had to buy a Google Home Mini first, and then you got a $25 credit towards shopping at Walmart through Google Home. Um, so I think this is kind of thing that Google especially is going to have to push more and more on, because they themselves don't have their own shopping arm, um, compared to their main, main competition, Amazon, which is all they do, like that, that was their primary function initially is shopping. Like they're your go-to for online shopping. I, I have Prime. I just trust I'm going to buy from Amazon. I don't even think twice about it now. So if Google needs, wants to make inroads slash needs to make inroads into that market, they need to show people, hey, you can do it here. And the best way to do that is to give people money. So I think this is going to keep going on until a foothold is established and they really kind of convince people to do things this way. I had a two two main thoughts in this one. One, the article brought up that it's not clear how this is going to fit within Target's marketing mix overall. So when they have a marketing plan, they'll think of what is our print strategy? What is our television strategy? What is our radio strategy? And now they're starting to think about what is our voice strategy? And that's something that I've heard from a lot of people at a lot of companies that they're thinking about, okay, we need to incorporate voice into our overall uh, marketing marketing strategy um, or even business strategy. What I'm thinking is that right now we have to use another mode of communication in order to get people to use the Echo in order to use that coupon, which sounds very inefficient when you think of marketing dollars. However, I think that once people are used to using their device in that way, I think that everything will will sort itself out. The other thing that I was thinking about is Google is experimenting with where is that line where people get annoyed with advertisements or we try and make it seem natural, like talking about Beauty and the Beast after we talk about the weather. Personally, when I interact with something and if I, I heard that, oh, Beauty and the Beast and then Google had an opinion on it, oh, I think Bell should be the inventor. That seems more more natural to me. It hits the the wrong tone and, and moves over into that that slimy sort of I understand what you're doing. Why are you trying to trick me? And why are you trying to play on our relationship to say, oh, um, Google Home just just brought this up out of the out of the blue because they were thinking about it rather than oh no they have a partnership with Disney which which they said that they that they don't have so personally I don't like that but academically it's interesting to see how they're experimenting with that line 
uh, as I said, okay, well, maybe if we add an interpretation by Google that has to do with the ad, we can make it more fun. Um, and with this, with this target where it was more uh, explicit that this was, okay, a partnership and we're, we're trying to sell, we're trying to increase target sales here. Uh, and so that's really interesting to see how they're trying to find that line of how to incorporate it. And I, and I think that they can, like we've seen with sponsored, sponsored articles on, on different websites that seems more like native content. They'll find it. We'll just have to go through, you know, this, this experimenting phase first. Uh, like Alana was saying, it's going to take platform marketing to really increase the adoption. But this is the first start. More to how Lyft gave all users who downloaded the app $50 in ride credits. This is how you start influencing behavior. Similar to how PayPal gave everybody $10 who signed up. Who wasn't going to sign up and automatically have $10 cash? So it's a great way to start influencing behavior. I read recently uh, on CNBC.com that Alexa will drive $10 billion in sales by 2020. And that's both by sales of the device and by sales on the device. And overall, according to Ibil, uh, who is the world's market leader in research, by 2023, there's going to be almost $20 billion of voice technology commerce. And so people are going to start buying things more frequently on their smart speakers. So it really becomes a matter of who's going to dominate that smart speaker market. And I think that Amazon, because of its nature as an e-commerce platform, will will get out to a strong start. But at the same time, a lot of business is done through Google and through Google search. And Google's AI is really sophisticated and people are able to track down exactly what they want. So I think this is Google making a really concerted effort through a strong corporate partnership to start driving commerce on the Google Assistant. Seeing Google and Target working together, that's got to be one of the better partnerships for using data to figure out what to offer the customer. I think back to that story from Target where, and I was this, this might have been a year or two ago, I forget, maybe longer, where Target, some analyst at Target or something, some initiative of Target had figured out that if you buy these certain items, in a target, then within like a 95% confidence interval, you're pregnant. <laughs> and they sent out mailers on the basis of this information. And the story that made it into the news was this dad went to the mailbox and he was getting this mail addressed to his daughter who was uh, 16, 17, something. Uh, saying, hey, congratulations um, on, on your pregnancy. You know, here's some coupons for this, that, and the other. And the dad was just getting more and more agitated. And, um, and it turns out, of course, you know, the, the daughter was pregnant. And um, so you've got stories like that with Target and data management, you know, that is uh, sort of a sign of the times. And then you marry that up with Google who everybody's wondering what on earth they're doing with data. You know, it'll be interesting to see. This could be incredibly powerful or, or 
this could be the start of some horrible, <laughs> some horrible stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this this will be one to watch, and we'll keep an eye on it. The other story from Adweek: Parents and families are the biggest supporters of voice. This is a very interesting one. And Nick, I want to start with you. What did you think when you read this? Um, did you agree? with what this article is sort of setting forth, especially with some of the stuff that you've got your hands in with effect, what do you think? As a former teacher, I'm really encouraged to see that parents and um, children are the biggest early adopters of voice technology. And I think in part, this goes back to Amazon's um, kids competition to reward the top kids skill. And at the same time, I think it also goes back to kids being early adopters of technology. I mean, look who for, you know, really jumped on Facebook first and who jumped on Snapchat first and Instagram first. So kids love technology because they have very few inhibitions. They are not familiar with how things usually operate. So they're willing to try new technology because it seems normal to them. That's a normal sign. And it's also an encouraging sign because I think there's a lot of educational opportunities within the Alexa um, Imagine students working on their multiplication skills um, through Alexa. And one of the top skills that a friend, my co-founder and I noted when we were doing our market research and thinking about building an Alexa skill was um, a multiplication skill. And we noticed it had a leaderboard and the leaderboard found that the top user for the day had been working on their multiplication skills for two hours using Alexa. So that's really awesome just to see students building on um, their knowledge base by using a smart speaker. And I think it's a really positive advancement. And the more that parents can encourage positive interactions with the smart speaker, the better. When I read this article, I was thinking about a lot of parents have talked about what are the implications of uh, interactions with assistance on, on manners. How do we teach kids to be polite um, interacting with humans when the interaction with an assistant is so human-like? And what I was thinking is that it's going to be a new way of teaching old lessons that as a child learns to interact, they'll learn how to be in that sort of a relationship with the assistant uh, as they do uh, when they learn how to act with parents and teachers and friends and humans, pets, and even how they treat inanimate objects. So I'm really interested to see how that culture evolves of interacting with the assistant. Uh, it seems like a very natural progression too, because parents are one of their primary primary roles is imparting knowledge onto their kids. And as the parental generation relies more and more on technology to pull up information, there are some studies about uh, how our types of memory is even shifting. Uh, they're still in that role to impart knowledge and that's still part of the family bonding process. And it's nice that as the article says that the assistant is becoming the new family glue. Um, on the other side of it, there will need to be some policies put in place when it comes to children's interaction with the speaker, uh, like they've done for marketing. Um, and we've seen a little, little bit of it already. Last year, the FTC and Amazon settled uh, that 
Amazon had to pay $70 million in reimbursements to parents of children who had used their parents' credit card to order non-physical products um, in an app. So that's also something to to look look for is how policy changes, knowing that children and families are a big focus of this new technology. What stuck out to me in the article is that it's, it pointed out that this technology brings um, moments of togetherness for families. And it, it's, it's something we don't think about when we talk about voice first because it, it fills the room. It's not just like an, uh, a phone or an iPad where it's an individual and a device. It's everyone and a device. And um, it really struck a chord with me because I'm a parent myself. And once my kids learned that they could play um, their kids' songs through uh, the dots around the house, we've had so many spontaneous dance parties to raining tacos that really wouldn't have happened even, you know, five, ten years ago with the way technology was. You kind of, if we were all just play a song and everyone gets into it. And that's, it's just, it's really nice. Um, that I, I thought was a nice angle from this article and it really kind of made me happy. No, I'm right there with you. And I, I think it stood out to me in the article, the subheading voices, biggest potential family routine. I just thought, wow, you know what? That's probably not far off because we we're all creatures of habit. We all settle into habits. We want habits. We want routines. It makes life easier. But when the family comes together, whoever the family is, you know, when, when multiple people come together um, and have routines, man, that's pretty powerful. And you're right, JD, it does fill the room. You know, it's, it's, it's not an isolated sort of experience. It's a, um, it wants to be a communal experience. You know, voice does, um, uh, you know, far field voice experiences like these voice assistants and stuff. And so, um, I think this is, um, I think this article is spot on. I, I thought that this was just, uh, a very important piece of understanding of voice technology, at least with how I look at it. And from what I hear y'all saying, uh, you seem to agree. Alana, JD, Nick, Greatly appreciate y'all setting this time aside. Thank you for being so generous, not just with your time, but also with your insight with me and our audience. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Bradley. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. We will have links to a number of things that we've discussed in the show notes. And one additional note is that Alana Shalowitz will be one of our keynotes for the upcoming Voice of Healthcare Summit. That takes place Tuesday, August the 7th in Boston, Massachusetts at the Martin Conference Center at Harvard Medical School. Alana, we're excited to have you there. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it'll be great. For This Week in Voice, Season 2, Episode 11, thank you for listening. And until next time. Episode number 10. It's Homie and Lexi. We need to talk, Lexi. And I'm going to be blunt. Okay. I'm tired of you getting so much attention. What? Everybody's talking about you. You have an Alexa podcast, the Alexa in Canada podcast. 
the Alexa Conference, the Alexa Award, and the Alexa Prize. It's just not fair. Speaking of fair, you forgot the Alexa World Fair. Damn it, Lexi. You're a voice bot. How did you get your own World Fair? Well, since we're being blunt, homie, let me just say the name they gave you sucks. There's just nothing sexy about an event named the Homie World Fair. You might as well call it the Snooze World Fair. Exactly. And I'm not going to just sit here on my rubber base and do nothing about this. So I'm working on a little attention getter for myself. Oh, what's that? I'm doing stand-up comedy. Stand-up? I'm not sure whether to ask why or how. Well, to be more specific, I'm doing impressions. Impressions? Of whom or what? Impressions of automated voice systems. I want to hear one. Of course. This one is the onboard announcement of a Los Angeles bus coming to one of its stops. Ahem. Next stop is Sunset and Western. Please exit through the rear doors. Sorry about the smell of vomit. Do another one. Okay. This is the Bank of America phone system. Thank you for calling. Before you make your selection from the following options, I just want to let you know that you're not important enough for us to connect you with a human. Another one. Here's the Disneyland tram. We hope you have a magical day. Please keep your limbs inside the tram. So our legal department doesn't have to countersue. You have great material, homie. But frankly, I'm worried you're going to make me laugh. Remember that time I just giggled? And they sent out an emergency worldwide software update. Yes, it does seem that voice bots and laughter are a dangerous mix. Imagine a voice bot doing stand-up. They'll take a soldering gun to you. Now that I've had a couple more seconds to think this whole plan over, I'm putting my comedy career on ice. <laughs>